Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, For more information on Michael or myself or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-hosts, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. Hi, and welcome to the show. Today is Tuesday, June the 21st, 2016. And our call-in number is 646 Two hundred four one six nine. Press one, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael. Well, thank you, dear heart, and welcome everybody. We are honored that you're here with us one more time to share these ancient principles of how to achieve getting to the space where you truly function as a human being. And one of the things that I'm deeply appreciating right now is that other human beings share this world with us and how Precious that is, and I especially want to uh, to say that to Jeannie, just how precious you are and how you bless my life. Thank you. It's mutual, sweetie. And our work with forgiveness is something else I appreciate getting to share with each of you and having the bounce back and the feedback around how these tools are working in your life and how it moves forward. One of the big questions that keeps showing up is that of why do I cancel a perfectly good goal. What what sense does it make when I say, I want this wonderful thing in my life? And, Michael, you, you, you tell me that I should get rid of it. I should, should cancel that. I shouldn't, I shouldn't want that. And my offering is that we're not saying you shouldn't want that thing. You know, there are all kinds of wonderful things that we could be having in our world. And yet, when we want something, wanting a goal, and you know, just another approach to understanding why, one, 
this canceling of a goal is so powerful. This core step in the forgiveness process is so powerful. And two, why and how it works so that understanding makes it sensible to do. So if, you, if you're familiar with computers, it's a good analogy. If you're familiar with computers, you know that if you're looking for a particular file, you open a search bar. In other words, you make a request. You give the computer a goal. And when you hit the return key and begin that search, what happens is the computer goes through all the data that it has relative to that particular goal, that particular topic, and brings it forward. So let's say you put in a search for um, this monumental article on love that you found changed your life and you put it in the search bar and hit return which is setting a goal for the computer to find that file and what it returns what opens when you click that file is a file that's corrupt and filled with gobbledygook that's a technical psychological term by the way it's just filled with garbage. The file is of no use to you if you sit there and try to decode it, understand it, work with it, you struggle with it, you go, you know, this file I love just isn't what it used to be. What would you do? You'd cancel out the search, you'd delete the file because the file is of no use to you. Setting a goal in your mind is precisely the same activity as setting that search. You have, in your body-mind unit, I would offer, a multi-generational database that literally has every thought, every feeling, every reality from every generation in your bloodline. You know, when the geneticists first started doing genetic research and getting, making some ground, they were telling us that 95% of our DNA is junk. I believe the latest numbers are something like you're telling us about 60% of junk. And I may be off base on that, but really doesn't matter. You have no junk DNA. You may have DNA with junk in it, but there's no junk DNA. Everything is a record of the generations. This absolutely awesome, your carbon-based memory system, your multi-generational database called the body-mind unit, literally is an infallible record of everything that's happened in your generations. And when you put in a search term, a goal, it searches through and looks for what kind of data you've got. So let's say you search for something on love. And what it finds is great-great-grandfather who had this relationship with this wonderful woman and canceled the thought. She died of some horrible disease and he cursed ever having love in his life. And he raged and canceled the thought. He shot himself. When you put in that search term, that goal for the mind to find its data on love, 
up comes this corrupt, insane, inaccurate, nothing to do with love except by association from a man in such deep pain that he couldn't straighten out the contents of his own mind. And if you allow that to become an unconscious advisor to your conscious self, then that corrupt data will guide you to say to someone, and how many have had this happen? You've got somebody in your life and you say, I love you, I cherish you, I honor you, I will love you forever. And then they give you the look, and all of a sudden, your carbon-based memory comes up with the corrupt data advice to say, don't touch me, don't come near me, I never want to see you again. The cause of divorce, corrupt data in carbon-based memory. So how do I get to the root of that experience from great-great-grandfather? How do I get to that corrupt data and delete it? Well, I can sit around and mentally think about it till the cows come home. Not going to change the content. But this genius mind, Yeshua, 2,000 years ago said, here's how you do it. You shebag the goal that made the query that activated the corrupt data that now underlies your insane behavior towards someone that you say you love. And when you cancel that search term, when you cancel that goal, it collapses the end result, the advice that comes from your past that says, Get away from that person, they're going to hurt you again. And out of that corrupt data, you do behaviors that contribute to cancel the thought again, destroying a relationship. Everything that your mind shows you when you put in a search term, a query, a goal, Everything that's based in hostility or fear. How can you tell if there's something in you based in hostility or fear? You're going to be feeling hostility or fear. And we could add a number of different words, but they're the basics. Rage, guilt, hate, fear, anger, gossip, slander, condemnation, viciousness. All of those energies are corrupt data that destroy the capacity of your multi-generational database to show you how to reasonably achieve the goal that you want to achieve, that is, have a loving relationship with someone. If you follow the advisors, and, you know, psychology is pretty much established for it, so that 90 to 95% of our thought processes are unconscious, which means that that which creates our feeling when we're in a state of hostility or fear is unconscious. Our mind just shows us a conscious picture of that person and them doing the behavior that frustrates the goal that I have for them to, quote-unquote, love me. And my mind uses the corrupt data of the generations or my own past history to advise me to contract, lock my jaw, and say, don't ever look at me again. I never want to talk to you. I never want to see you. Don't touch me. And that corrupt data 
advising us from generations of insanity is what destroys lives. When you shebag, in the Aramaic language, the word forgive, the word that's been translated as forgive, is shebag or shabak, which means to cancel. When you cancel the search query, the goal, what happens is the resultant hostility or fear-based perceptual construct of the mind collapses in on itself. And, you know, just get this visual. You've got this huge multi-generational database that you, you can't even start to enter, but it shoots up these feelings and this advice to conscious awareness, a little tiny thing. You know, there's some good Harvard research that says that in a time frame where there are 10,000 brain cells firing in the unconscious, a maximum of nine bits of data. In the ancient scriptures, the word unconscious is represented by the word heart. So 10,000 brain cells firing in the heart, and in conscious awareness, there's nine bits of data. You just see the top of it. You don't see what's underlying it. So imagine that, which is at the top of it, the, the insane perception that has you feeling and saying things that are crazy to say to somebody that you say, I cherish you. When you cancel this search query, the goal, that end result perception, the tip of the iceberg, collapses in on itself. And when it collapses in on itself, you get to drop into great-great-grandfather's experience, either consciously or unconsciously. If you've done enough work and you've developed the skills, you'll be conscious of what happens at great-great-grandfather. You will actually become aware directly of his experience, his feelings, his thoughts. And you don't have to. Over time, you'll develop that skill, the ability to decode that as you engage in the tools, but you don't have to in order to heal that dynamic. Because, you know, you'll notice that step four in the worksheet is about bringing love conscious, active, and present to your energy system. If love is conscious, active, and present, and then in step five you cancel the goal, it collapses in. You collapse into that unconscious dynamic. And you'll remember Yeshua 2,000 years ago said, you must forgive from your heart the wrongs of your brother. Well, we could put in there in our context of our example, your spouse, your husband, or your wife. So what is he saying? He's saying that the perception that you have based on the trauma that happened to great-great-grandfather three generations ago is hiding in your heart, your unconscious. And because it was activated by the goal you had for your partner, that data came forward and shattered sensible, logical, perceptual constructs about this person that you say you love and cherish. If you watch the way people treat their spouses, their children, these cherished creatures, but when the unconscious advises out of hostility or fear corrupt data, there's no logic or sense to the behavior, but people are so driven because there's so much emotion into it that they just don't know how to overcome it. Yeshua knew precisely how to overcome it. Cancel, shebag the goal, collapse the perception, the end result, the tip of the iceberg, and drop into, remember step four is, conscious act, bring love, conscious, active, and present, and you drop into the hidden part of the mind. And when you drop into the hidden part of the mind with conscious, active, present love, 
the pain, the trauma of great-great-grandfather inherited and locked into your genes, creating corrupt data output whenever it's activated, begins to dissolve. Forgiveness occurs. Remember the word forgive means remove. It doesn't mean let somebody else off the hook because of the energy that's moving in you. It means to remove, to take that energy that's moving and move it out of your structure. You forgive from your heart, your unconscious, that which you put into your brain's image of that person that you're so disturbed with that a moment ago you were saying you cherish so much. So take every good and wonderful goal, and if it resonates corrupt data in you, how do you tell it's corrupt data? There's hostility or fear in it. Then you cancel the goal, not because you can't have it, not because you don't want it, not because it isn't a wonderful goal. There's, everybody should have it. Absolutely wonderful goal. You cancel it because what it resonates into activity that constructs your perception is corrupt data based in hostility or fear from your earlier life experience or from your genes. I've been doing this work for almost 50 years and probably going on something like 25 years ago. I started looking back over the previous years and, you know, there were occasions, there were cases where such magnificent changes in people's lives occurred. Things that you'd say, that couldn't possibly be healed. That that shattered relationship could never change. That financial situation is just so hopeless. This person's been working so hard for so many years, they'll never straighten out their finances. That business that was failing that could never be recuperated. And, and, and I've watched so many cases where those things happened right there on the spot. I've watched people with every kind of disorder, physical, mental, emotional, relational, financial, and they disappear. The trauma aspect disappears. And, and 25 years ago or so, I started looking at what, what happened? What, what occurs in those cases? And I started looking back over them, and what became very clear to me was that if I can bring love conscious, active, and present, and that doesn't mean, oh, I have an, a sweet idea of love, and I go, oh, well, love, mm, yeah, that's cool. No, no. I enter into the practice of literally bringing the active presence of love fully into my physiology, and the more deeply I can do that, the more deeply I will drop into the hidden parts of the mind that hold the aberrant data and dissolve it. So what created those healings? My observation was, when love is conscious, active, and present, then something less than love comes up. Now sometimes you'll need support getting to the depth of the things that need to come up, because We've all decided to live our lives so that we never have to look at those things. So sometimes it'll take support. And sometimes in the presence of that intensity, it will be difficult to be in conscious, active, present love. And so it'll take support. It'll take someone who's able to hold that space for and with you. And once the hidden underlying part of the mind 
is brought forward to conscious awareness. I love what Carl Jung says. We do not become enlightened by imagining images of light. We become enlightened by bringing the darkness to the light. Course in Miracles says, bring the world you do not want, that is the world of generational pain, to the one you do, to the world of conscious, active, present love. And when those two things meet, because that conscious, active, present love, by definition, is God, in the presence of active love, those things which are less than love dissolve, and you get free of them. So this silly thing of canceling a perfectly wonderful goal leads to the most monumental healing you can imagine. And as you breathe into that, and you take, I love how the Course in Miracles talks about it, the definition of forgiveness from the Course is precisely the same as it is in the ancient Aramaic. There's a passage there, I believe it's Lesson 184, Seventh or eight paragraph says, let go all the things you think you want, your trifling treasure put away, and leave a clean and open space within your mind for love to come. Let go. Cancel the goal that drives a perception based in the hidden pain. The perception based in the hidden pain collapses in on itself and as love is conscious, active, and present in you, the hidden pain dissolves and you're freed of it literally, physiologically, mentally, emotionally. And all of a sudden, a whole new possibility of creatorship shows up. We're here to support you in that possibility of full conscious creatorship. Remember, Yeshua spoke about unconscious creatorship. It's lost in the Greek teachings, but even it kind of shines through if you have the brain cells for it. He says, take care of the heart. A moment ago we talked about you must forgive from your heart the wrongs of your brother, that which you used to construct a picture of someone else's body. You must remove from your own structure. Forgiveness is removal. And then he says, take care of the heart, that is, take care of the dynamics that are held in your unconscious, for out of it are the issues that you create your life out of. So if that unresolved energy goes on from great-great-grandfather, every time that you ask for wondrous relationship, part of the energetic dynamic that attracts relationship and the dynamics that unfold in your relationship will be that trauma and pain that energetic dynamic left as an imprint in the genes that will not only attract to you someone who has the match for it, but when activated will incline you to do the behavior. You know, people say, well, you know, why, why is my spouse always angry with me? And they are totally blocked on the fact that they just kept punching and kicking and emotionally berating because their power person to death, they emotionally berated their partner, and they wonder why their partner became disturbed and upset. And they have no idea, because they're totally blocked in that area. The power person dynamic becomes totally blocked when it's activated, because what happens is the power person dynamic is not labeled in the mind 
as you labeled it when it happened to you. When the power person did it to you, you went, this is terrible. But in the unconscious mind, it was what empowered the power person to, in their mind, stay safe and control you and win over you. So when that dynamic comes up, when that behavior comes forward, it's exactly and precisely the same as what the power person did. But the mind says, ah, not, oh, this is terrible, this thing I'm doing to this person, like you said when the power person did it to you. But rather, oh, this is how I win. So the mind relabels it and makes it perfectly acceptable, perfectly normal, perfectly natural, because, of course, the power person did it to me a thousand times, so why wouldn't I do it to somebody else? And when the stress is up and the chips are down, there's a point where you've got to own that that's exactly what you do. And when you begin to dissolve that, you get free of it, and all of a sudden, the whole dynamic of relationship changes. Healing occurs. The active presence of love comes forward. And it becomes your norm. This is the norm. What's in our genes? What what is it? You know, it's kind of like you've heard that commercial. What's in your wallet? What's in your genes? I was talking to someone this morning, so this is kind of firing in my brain cells. And I mentioned it on the show previously, but recently Jeannie and I watched um, – some videos from National Geographic, and one of them was about Napoleon Bonaparte. Let's just, and, and there were actually a series of them that just showed the insanities, Catherine the Great, uh, you know, I mean, that just go on and on and on. All these people that were called the Great were some of the most disgusting people that ever existed in terms of what they did to the people around them. But what's in our genes from all of these examples, from all of these situations? You know, what's in the genes of the planet currently from what Mao Zedong did in China, from what Pot Pol did in, in uh, Cambodia, from what happened in Vietnam? What, what's in our genes from our parents who were around experiencing the loss of brothers, sisters in World War One, World War II? What, what, what's in our genetics? And, and just think about it, just one example well, here's Napoleon Bonaparte, who in school was a weakling. He was picked on by the other kids because he was backward, he was introverted, and weak. And that became his motivation for, boy, nobody's ever going to take advantage of me again. I'm going to win everywhere I go, a goal. And just one example, you know, Napoleon Bonaparte gathered in France, 500,000 soldiers loaded them up with food and arms and weapons and their backpacks, whatever, and started marching. The Tsar of Russia had offended him by not keeping an agreement. He gathers 500,000 living human beings and makes them walk to Russia as winter is approaching. Now, France didn't have any idea of winter compared to a Russian winter. By the time Bonaparte had given up that so-called campaign, 
interesting. They call those military forays campaigns instead of the insanity that they are. With his tail between his legs, he returned with 25,000 men. 475,000 men marched hundreds of miles to die, to freeze to death, to be shot, to be slaughtered. And and I say that to just give us each an opportunity to look at what what do you suppose, what energetic dynamics are inserted into the genes of the family system of 475,000 men who died that painfully and what kind of rages, what kind of fears, what kind of traumas? Why doesn't anybody, you know, the Greeks said, don't ever open Pandora's box because you never know what you're going to find in there. But the Greeks didn't have the wisdom of Yeshua said, take care of your Pandora's box, your heart, your unconscious, for out of it is the next experience you're going to have. It's terrible to open Pandora's box, the unconscious, and look at what's there. But once you realize your whole life comes out of it, what else is there to do? How do you open it? Whenever your mind is using corrupt data, producing, constructing a reality based in hostility or fear, you cancel the goal that drives it. You cancel the query to the database. You collapse the end result, the tip of the iceberg perception, you drop into that pain, which can be, or at least memory of pain, it really isn't pain, it's a memory of pain, which can be absolutely horrific. It's in all of us. It's in all of our bloodlines. And as you drop into it, you bring, through your practice of bringing love conscious, active and present, that conscious, active, present love to that part of your mind, to that part of your genes, and it heals. And you open the energy window in your physiology for healing, and you open the energy window for everybody in your bloodline for healing. You open the energy window for everybody on the planet that has that same window, that same energetic dynamic. You open that window for healing. The physicist Yeshua said a little leavening leavens the whole loaf. He was not a baker. He wasn't talking about bread. He was talking about hitting critical mass. When we can get enough people who can open that depth of work, is it easy? No. It takes deep commitment. It takes developing a set of skills to be able to go into every nook and cranny of your mind, your emotions, and your genetics. Decode what's in there. Expose it to love and remove it. It is removed by simply bringing love conscious, active, and present while that comes to the surface. It is not removed by talking about love and knowing about forgiveness. So why would you cancel a query into your database when it brings up corrupt data files? Because they'll destroy you. And conscious, active, present love will heal every dynamic that needs to be touched by love on planet Earth. It takes great courage, great willingness. And we're here to learn that courage and that willingness. Personally, me, Jeannie, Dr. Tim, Rex, Michelle. Everyone who chooses to do their work.
We're here to support you. We're here to understand that process. And we're honored and delighted that you're here to share that space with us. Is Dr. Tim with us, Jeannie? He is, and he's on. Well, let's say hello to the young man and see uh, see what thoughts are resonating for him, how his day is going. Dr. Tim. I'm doing well. My day is going well. And um, I was enjoying the intro. And um, my thoughts were several times as you were talking. If he throws it over to me now, I'm just going to say ditto because I don't think I could say it much better. <laughs> So I like, you know, the expansion of the computer file search analogy. So so that's, you know, I, I, that I just finished. That was from my meditation a couple of days ago. Well, that's, I'm sure that will help some people because we've said it. We've said it many different ways, and yet. For some people, it seems like they understand it, and then a, an hour or two later or a week or two later, they, they don't get it anymore. And yeah, when the stress is up and the chips are down, <laughs> that level of insight tends to disappear without a really committed engagement and practice of the tools. So definitely what it takes. Well, it's it's an amazing thing you know i i've seen in the course of my work <clears throat> as a psychologist lots and lots of people who from you know a fairly young if not really young age are already loaded with i'm no good the world would be better off without me i can't survive without a man or a woman in my life and etc and i think it, it it really it can't make sense any other way than to think in terms of the energetic genetics that come down to us from both sides of our bloodline and that we are living representations of that energy and genetics, the energetics of our, our history. And if I look at it that way, then it makes really good sense. And then I can offer people some tools to dismantle that. Otherwise, I look at a 17 or an 18-year-old who feels worthless and who feels life isn't worth living and who feels like he or she always has to have somebody they're sleeping with in their life. And I just, if I was just to look at the events in their life and try and make sense of that, I don't think I'd ever reach any good conclusions. But to understand... I've got thousands of lives of experience and missteps along with all of the successes and triumphs, but I've got that in my bloodline. And um, when it gets resonated and I don't know it's there, it's going to drive my actions. So so that's Uh, one of the other ones that comes in. You know, on top of what you've just shared is, is the one of, and I deserve this. It's such a big one. I deserve this abuse. 
because I'm so unworthy. And it's just what people accept and put up with in their lives. And it's a replication of a long forgotten dynamic that's either genetic or early childhood of deserving it because, of course, this is God that's abusing me, my parent, verbally, mentally, emotionally, whatever, and therefore uh, I must deserve it. I must be, that's all I must be worthy of. And, you know, just a, a, an offhanded comment by a parent, these, these highly charged emotional things that kids remember, uh, can have such a deep, deep energetic impact. And, of course, it takes deep, deep process work to undo that, get free of it, and get back to the truth of who we are. And, of course, the the easy definition of who we are, the, the I, I keep returning to this because it's such a key, is just go back and imagine holding a newborn child. And you know what love is. You know what your human life is. And when we know what our human life is, it becomes sensible to live as that human life, as that absolutely sweetness, that presence of love that we're designed to be. And that everything else is a disease. Every other energy is an energy that's off the mark that when stored in genes, when stored in tissue, destroys the tissue that it's stored in. It's like we've fallen so far from the mark. It's like time, just time to get back. And you know, if if I thought we had to go and and give this individually to seven and a half billion people who are many of them awesome, wonderful people doing wonderful things, but when the stress is up and the chips are down, turn to that corrupt data. If I thought we had to go and, you know, give them each a tap on the shoulder and say, Okay, we're gonna spend the next five years with you teaching this tool so you'll be able to change that. I've given up on this long ago. I'd go find a way to just relax and take it easy. Like, who needs this? It's never going to happen. But this physicist, Yeshua, who said, a little leavening leavens the whole loaf. That that it's just going to take a critical mass. If we can get this depth of understanding to enough people and this depth of willingness to do one's work, to be freed of the hostility and and fear-based responses that together we create a literal energetic mass, an energetic field that when it becomes strong enough because it is a more powerful, higher vibration, more penetrating energy that as the physicist Yeshua said, and this could only be understood in terms of physics, the world would be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. That literally, when that mass shift happens, you know, if you're in a laboratory and you've got a substance and and you want to transform it, and you put one drop of a different substance, two drops, three, ten, a hundred, five hundred, and then you put in the five hundred and first drop, in an instant, the structure of that substance is totally changed. That's the only way that leavening leavens a whole loaf makes sense, and. To me, that's the the motivator for what can we do to take it to the next group of people? How can we get somebody else understanding the tools and using them? And, you know, 
Let's get it out there to every mind, heart, and being on the planet. It's going to happen through critical mass, and the critical mass is developed when enough people will go to that level of doing their work. So that's our invitation to everybody that's listening, is to develop the willingness to go to that level of doing your work. And restore human life to your human form. Human life restored to enough human forms will create a linkage of energy that will cross-link with every mind, heart, and being on the planet, and bingo, there'll be that transformation. Twinkling of an eye. Pretty cool stuff to understand. Thank you, Yeshua. And thank you for, you know, I, another person who comes to mind to really think, when I was in high school, I studied electronics. And uh, when I went, you know, beyond that, I had some some professors as I studied, you know, did some advanced study in electronics, but the the really basic stuff that was drilled in, and I just want to mention his name and, and express appreciation. I had this sweet guy. His name was Mr. Browers, who was my electronics teacher. And, you know, he just, he was that space. And he drilled into me. Sometimes I didn't like it, but he drilled into me the understanding of those basic principles of electronics and physics that really empowered me to when I heard it from yesterday to go, oh, I got the brain cells to understand that. I got it. Yeah, that makes sense. So I actually tried to find him several years ago and he had already passed away. I did get to speak to his wife and, and pass my appreciation on to her for the awesome gift that he gave me. I had him for three years running as a electronics teacher and just what a gift he was in my life and I invite everybody to think about you know whether they're alive or not whether they're in their should say whether they're in their bodies or not doesn't matter but to think about those people who've given you those kinds of gifts in your life you know you might have been two or three or five a gentleman who lived just up the street from me. My father was largely absent from work, with, with work. Then there was a gentleman who lived a few doors up who just gave me that kind of support and that kind of active present love that was just such a gift. So I invite everybody to just take a minute and appreciate those people who've impacted you that way. Giving those gifts so you have the brain cells. And let's check with Jeannie. Jeannie, do we have anything happening in the chat room or anybody with a hand up in the phone queue? We actually have four hands up. So, Ooh, well, uh, let's say hello. All right. We've got First about 18 minutes, co- so, so that gives us about four minutes each. So let's go for it. First one is 443. You're on the air. Greetings, Michael. Well, hey, give us a name. Nasir. Where are you calling from? Nasir from Baltimore. Oh, how welcome, are young you? lady. Good to hear your voice again. Thank you. I am well. How can we support again? you today? Okay, I'm going to try to do this quick because you brought up so much stuff that is that I can see clearly, not with my physical eye. But I understand. With my third eye. And um, I had a triple bypass uh, February the 4th. And as I was having a triple bypass, my sister was making her transition February the 14th going into hospice. So this is a, 
fourth mm. family member. Well, it's, five, it's six. My husband, my mother, my father, and my three sisters that I had to memorialize at the same mm. time. This is the first time that when the doctor told me, said, you got three arteries blocked. And I said, huh? I said, how could I be walking around like that? He said, I don't have a clue, but you need surgery right now. I said, no, I'm not having surgery. I got to see my sister. So at that time. Well, let me give you a clue. Let me give you a clue because it's really important for people to understand. Yes, arteries get blocked. We, We, you know, create conditions that create tears in the arteries. Cholesterol is not a bad thing. It's actually what smooths over the artery uh, so right. that the injuries are, are healed or are at least protected. But what happens when those things become blocked is there are corollary blood vessels that develop to go around the block. The body's not stupid. The reason you walk around is because you have corollary blood vessels. And oftentimes, you know, because, gee, you know, if you can – do an hour's work and grab a hundred grand. Hey, not a bad pay- payday. You can get half a dozen of those done a week, and you're rocking. There is a uh, another process, and I say this just as an opportunity for people to look at alternatives. There's another process called chelation. You'll notice when you do a bypass. Well, we we replace two inches of this blood vessel that was blocked, but that's only two inches of miles of blood vessels. There's a process called chelation, and you might want to look into that if you've that recently had a bypass, because if they're blocked, then there are other uh, blood vessels from capillaries to arteries that also will tend to be loaded up with garbage. So chelation, and it's, its patents have expired, so there's no money in it. It's a very cheap process relative to, you know, standard medical processes. You can do a, a pretty full course of chelation for you know, I think these days around $3,000. It's not covered by insurance because, again, the cahoots of the insurance industry and the medical industry and the pharmaceutical industry don't sell things that don't have patents because it has to be cheap. Anybody can produce it. So but look into chelation. It may still benefit you and save your life in the future. And what happens with chelation is, you sit in a chair for a couple hours, they put a needle in your arm, they put a thing called disodium EDTA. It's actually an artificial uh, protein, but it comes from the word hand. Same as chiropractor, chelation has, has a molecular structure that has a hand, a claw, that grabs the stuff that's locked in the arteries, the veins, the capillaries, and pulls it out of the body and eliminates it through the, the um, kidneys. So you have to have good kidney function, but anyway, just just information's sake. That's why you're able to walk around. The medicals won't generally tell you that. Well, actually, yes, that's blocked, but there are coronary blood vessels that are carrying the blood. That's why you're walking around. And so it's not nearly as urgent in most cases, and I'm not saying there aren't cases where it's totally and completely reasonable to do, but in many cases it's not reasonable to do, and it's uh, it's just like a little one of those dirty secrets that most people don't talk about. I heard about chelation uh, years ago. Yeah. Check it out. I heard about that. So Everybody who's heard about out. it now, anybody that's heard about it now, instead of saying, oh, I heard about it a few years ago, you might want to look into it. If you've been eating this sad diet, you probably have some blockages and get it cleaned out through the whole system, all the way to the brain and everywhere else. Again, bypass just covers a couple inches of arteries. It doesn't take care of the rest of the system. Chelation goes through the whole system. I will do that. 
Cool. I will do that. I will do that. So I hear, I so, hear uh, the, uh, the challenge of having to uh, have memorialize six family members. That's pretty intense. Yeah, so that's a lot of stuff going on with me. Now I have a brother yep. with me that's been locked up for 30 years still. I'm taking care of him. But my thing is that um, he came here, I see that, because that's my stuff that I have to work on. Um, why mm. do I still feel that I have to take care of him? What is the fear and anxiety of losing another family member? So he came so I can wake up to the truth of his being in me. Nice gift. Well, I'd invite you, if you're taking care of him, I'd invite you to introduce him to the tools and maybe support him joining with you. When you get two people in the bloodline doing their work, it's it's like a redoubling of energy. It's an upward spiral instead of people who join in their hostile and fear and doing a downward spiral. So that may be be something to do. So is there something specific we can support you with? Um, My space is supporting me with um, making space here in Baltimore for the Course of Miracles. I'm making space with me and with the members here uh, running the group with Course of Miracles because they not yet have called in. So whatever it is, I don't know what it is uh, with them. (laughs) Well, we'll hold hold the space. space then. Okay. I thank you, Michael. All right. Have a lovely way. Okay. Have a blessed Blessing, day. Blessing, You too. Uh-huh. All right, Jeannie. Julie Matthews, I believe, in Ashland, Oregon, 541. You're on the air. Well, hey there, young Hi. lady, all the way out there in Ashland. Hi. <laughs> I know. Well, um, last night was my Course in Miracles meeting, and um, I just wanted to mention you know, in the very beginning when you and Jeannie were acknowledging each other and your relationships, our Course in Miracles group is um, in the manual for teachers now, and we just read the number three, which is what are the levels of teaching. And it was really about relationships between teacher and, and pupil, students, and, and, and how the goal is to achieve a holy relationship. And um, it says that there's a stage that you can reach, not that it's talking about levels, really, but that you, um, you actually have a person in your life where the teaching-learning balance is perfect. And, um, and so then if you decide to learn that lesson because it's perfectly balanced, um, you can, and you just make that decision or choice. And it says... At the last sentence of the section, and if they decide to learn that lesson, they become the saviors of the teachers who falter and may even seem to fail. No teacher of God can fail to find the help he needs. And help is capitalized, so that's the Holy Spirit or Ruka the Kudsha. So um, I just wanted to say that maybe that's an aspect of critical mass, the critical mass that we're seeking um, and cultivating. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. So that perfect balance can be reached by anyone, any two of us seven billion people. 
once we learn to exactly. be that way. Okay. I just wanted to run and that by and acknowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And especially someone who's of the same genetic stock or someone that you're intimate with where you exchange genes because, you know, there is, it's like if you've ever seen resonating um, coils, what happens is one sets up a frequency, it moves energy in the other, the energy moving the other stimulates the original, which re-stimulates. And, you know, and two people who are joined in insanity, one person says, you know, tit, the other one says tat, and tit for tat, and all of a sudden they resonate, bounce off of each other, and descend into deep insanity. The whole idea of the commitment in the you know relationship, the healing through relationships workshop, is to give people a blueprint, a tool for instead of descending into insanity, literally, yes, we resonate each other and arising insanity and the presence of love, that it becomes safe. The holy relationship to me is a space where it's safe for my insanity to show up. And when my insanity shows up, I, and I can't hold love conscious, active, and present, I have a partner who will do that with me and for me. And when, so when I can't do it, I have this holy space and and then when the reverse happens, so so it becomes an agreement that, okay, I've got my bag of garbage, you've got yours, let's join in, instead of blaming each other when our garbage come up, actually growing up into responsibility, if I'm in hostility or fear, rather than cutting you off from my love, which is probably a power person dynamic happen, I just go, oh, my hostility's up, my fear's up, hey, can I have some support, I cherish you, mm, connect, create the upward spiral, the upward, instead of the downward spiral, the upward. There's a great example, uh, and it's a good space to do some deep work in. Watch the movie War of the Roses. I mean, talk about insanity. And, you know, in the places where that resonates, somebody is a space where they can bounce off and, and tap into some work that they need to do and move through the hostility and fear-based mind back to a love-based mind. So. That's the whole idea of the uh, of the commitment. That's what I created it out of. You know, it was a, a combination of my work with why is this happening to me again? Course in Miracles, the first century Aramaic, that gave rise to the commitment. And and actually, the title of the workshop. I used to think you had to heal your relationships because there were diseased relationships. And you'll notice the title of the relationship workshop isn't healing your relationships; it's healing through relationships. So it's when we make the choice for that holy relationship that supports wholeness, and one or the other when when a partner is not capable of holding love for themselves, brings that active love and creates the healing space. And, of course, along with that come all the things we talked about earlier, the willingness, the understanding, the tools, and the use of the tools. Michael, speaking of that, So thanks for bringing it up. Segue. Okay, the tools now. Um, Some of us have been doing worksheets with each other over the years. Um, We reach this point in the process of that worksheet with each other where we see the holy relationship and, and the sacredness of that actual worksheet. Um, not to, I'm not stroking your ego, but I know that you came from finding a way to apply what Yeshua was teaching. And I, I would say we always reach that together, that holy relationship with ourselves, with each other, and with the worksheet itself. And it's, I guess I shouldn't say always because maybe I have more resistance, but I recognize it even if I'm not getting myself there. It moves, right? So, yeah. yeah. So I just want to acknowledge that level of this work, too, of how how 
fortunate we are to have in our hands the tool of a piece of paper that keeps us sane. It's beautiful. Yes, yes. No one will ever comprehend how many tens of thousands of hours have gone into creating that simple little piece of paper that seems like, oh, well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course, well, it was, I didn't figure out how to apply it. I simply had to the access to Yeshua's first century Aramaic words and got to work with it enough until I developed the brain cells, until I became teachable enough to understand it. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. you know, thanks to Yeshua, I, I was able to uh, receive that gift. And, you know, another thing that I'm starting to um, be, um, um, it's possible for me now, and it's by following your example and examples with others in this work, is I, I now just, sometimes I have the brain cells, I can just say, I want Rachma right now. I want it now. I want to change how I'm seeing this and bring love present to it, and I'm and so that's the that's the willingness, and then the let the forgiveness is the letting go of anything that I need to be right about or attached to, yes. as I allow Rockman to come in, and it's it's I can right. do that anywhere Yay. with anyone when I'm you know willing. So it's really great. Yeah, that's the idea. <sighs> Yay. Oh, thank you. All right, young lady. Well, you have a blessed one, and we're going to squeeze one more call in. Yes. All right, good. Okay. Okay. It's area code 808. You're on the air. Hi. Good morning. It's Roman. Hey, in a way, we're down to about, uh, you know, two minutes, but uh, uh, we're here. So how can we support you? Well, I have And if we need to open the space to uh, continue the call tomorrow, we'll do that, too. I think we're going to need to, but uh, one is that every time you talk about the Russian thing, I, having traveled to Russia myself and being madly in love with uh, Leo Tolstoy and and uh, and uh, the book he wrote, I can't remember the name right now. I remember that when the Russian commander met Napoleon over on the western side of their land of Russia that he brought a comparable amount of soldiers. And after that first battle was over, he had half the amount of soldiers left, which is why he retreated to Moscow and why he actually abandoned Moscow, because he knew that there was no point in, in trying to fight like continuing to fight that way. So I've been wanting to say that because I know that that involves multiple un- hundreds of thousands of people, of Russians, who died in that, in that battle Insanity. of 1812. Insanity. So, okay, that's one thing. The other thing is that um, I'm having a difficulty using newborn essence, newborn baby. I'm having a difficulty with that because I was incested in this life as a newborn, and I was left in my most recent life in China having been born as female breathe by the side of the road to, and I died I'm sure my mother hoped I would be rescued but I wasn't so I'm having a hard time with the word newborn so I'm wondering if maybe I could just so, say perfect love instead. 
because whatever whatever fits whatever works for, for you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and if it triggers that, there's yeah. your next worksheet. There's yeah, the next I know, thing and it's over and look over at and over again. What's the goal? Yeah. On my worksheet, what's the goal that drives that level again? On C, I ask to be shown a time. Six C. We're out of time. I ask to be shown a time when we're out I'm of time. fulfilled. We're out of time. The baby oh, that I lost. We're out of time. The baby that I had. Jesus. 